the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. In other words, the reason why this woman was so broken over her sin was because she understood her desperate need of forgiveness. And when she understood the love of the Savior and how he didn't recoil from her, and how he loved her, and how he forgave her. She was broken about it, and so she desired to worship him and to honor him. That is so true for us. Listen, the reason that you will want to worship God, who should praise God? Everybody who understands how much God has forgiven you and loves you, you should want to worship God. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. Those whom are most broken have the greatest potential to realize how crucial it is to worship God. Pastor Gary teaches us that God offers salvation to all. He does this because he dearly loves us. This means that even those with the most horrible of histories are invited to salvation. There is no evil which will cause Jesus to pull back his offer. If you fear your past is too dark for Jesus, or if you believe you are undeserving of his grace due to it, know that you are wrong. Jesus still offers his hands out to you and hopes you will receive his grace. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Psalms, chapter 145, with part two of his message, Ways to Praise. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Well, you might say, well, if I can't even fathom the greatness of God, then how can I worship God in his greatness? J.B. Phillips, I think, has a great quote on this. He said, quote, if God were small enough for me to figure out, he wouldn't be big enough for me to worship. Of his greatness no one can fathom. But that's okay because that just reminds me that God is so great and so wonderful and so awesome. He is worthy of my praise. And so what is praise to God? It is ascribing value to him. It is honoring him and worshiping him because he is of inestimable worth. Second question is who should praise God? Now, to answer this one, if you just look here at Psalm 148, look at Psalm 148 with me. I'm just going to read the first 12 verses because the writer of this psalm just kind of makes a list of, of who should praise God. Psalm 148, verse 1, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights above. Verse 2, praise him all his angels, praise him all his heavenly hosts. So he, he puts angels on the list. Verse 3, he says, praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. So he puts the solar system on the list. 
Verse 4, praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters above the skies. He puts the atmosphere above on the list. Jump to verse 7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. Now he, he puts land and sea creatures below on the list. Verse 8, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. He puts weather on the list. He says, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Now he puts the plant kingdom on the list. Verse 10, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. Now he puts the animal kingdom on the list. Verse 11, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth. He puts, he puts rulers of government on the list. And in verse 12, young men and maidens, old men and children. He says men, women, and children. So the list there in Psalm 148, he puts angels, solar system, atmosphere above, land and sea creatures below, weather, plant kingdom, animal kingdom, rulers of government, men, women, and children. In other words, what he's saying is let the creation and the created Worship the creator. Let everything, actually the psalmist ends the entire book of Psalms in chapter 150 verse 6 by saying, in case I left anybody out or anything out, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So who should praise the Lord? Everything and everyone. Now you might read this list with me in Psalm 148 and and think, well, how, how can creation, how can the solar system worship God? How can land and sea creatures worship God? How can the weather worship God? The plant kingdom, how can they worship God? Well, creation is actually in a fixed state of glorifying God. The Bible tells us in Romans 1.20 that God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. So God has displayed himself in the beauty and in the wonder and in the complexity of the universe. And that with an intelligent examination of the data, one can see that there is a divine creator behind all of this wonder and complexity of our universe. And so creation stands in a constant fixed state of praising God by virtue of its design, which testifies to God as creator. The Bible also says in Psalm 19, 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. So God tells us in his word that his handiwork is constantly testifying and glorifying him. Not as much with us. I mean, in terms of us and our created human bodies being, as we talked about last week, by themselves, a statement of the handiwork of God and that God is the creator even behind the human body. We also have a will. And in the exercise of our will, we can choose to praise God or dishonor God. We can choose to glorify God or rebel against God. And that is why more than 200 times in the Bible we are commanded to praise the Lord. Because we could decide we don't want to glorify Him and we don't want to praise Him. Now, I get... I think you'd agree with me that people who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior don't have an inclination to worship God. People who don't know the Lord in a personal way may not have the same sense of praising God that we as Christians will have because if you know Christ as your Savior, then you know what he has done for you. And when you know what he has done for you and you grow in the depth and knowledge of what he has done for you, 
you have this natural desire to worship him and to give him praise for who he is because of what he's done in your life. There's a story in Luke chapter 7. Many of you are familiar with this story where Jesus is invited to dinner at the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. And Jesus goes and has dinner there at the home of Simon the Pharisee. He was always, you know, just trying to reach people wherever they were. And here's this Pharisee inviting Jesus to his house for dinner. Jesus goes. Bible says he's reclining at the table for dinner. That was typical in Middle Eastern cultures. There would be a, a table in the center of the room. And then people would usually lean on an elbow and feet extended away from the table. And so everybody face front to the table with feet extending away, kind of like spokes on a wheel. And there Jesus is reclined at the table. It's implied that the door of Simon's home is open because in just off the street comes this woman. And she is weeping. And she weeps at Jesus' feet. She falls at Jesus' feet and she's weeping. The Bible says that she wets his feet with her tears. That's how much she's sobbing. And then she takes her hair and she starts to dry his feet. And the Bible says that she pours expensive perfume on his feet to just anoint him and to show him honor. Now, in Luke 7, it tells us that Simon the Pharisee is standing there seeing this. And it says that in his mind, now he's not saying it, but he thought to himself, if Jesus knew what man or woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. She's a prostitute. Bible says she was a sinful woman. She's a prostitute. The reason that she is so broken is because she's broken over her sin. She's broken over her life. She falls at Jesus' feet in surrender to him and acknowledging him as Lord. Jesus, it says in Luke 7, knowing Simon's thoughts, God always knows our thoughts, taught this little parable about someone who was forgiven a little debt and someone who was forgiven a greater debt. Jesus looked at Simon and says, now who would love more? The one who was forgiven little or the one who was forgiven much? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who was forgiven much would love the one who forgave the debt more. Jesus says how true it is. For he who has been forgiven much loves much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. In other words, the reason why this woman was so broken over her sin was because she understood her desperate need of forgiveness. And when she understood the love of the Savior... And how he didn't recoil from her. And how he loved her. And how he forgave her. She was broken about it. And so she desired to worship him. And to honor him. That is so true for us. Listen. The reason that you will want to worship God. Who should praise God? Everybody who understands how much God has forgiven you. And loves you. You should want to worship God. If you understand all that he's done for you by dying on a cross and forgiving you of all your sins, everything you've ever done. You'll worship him much if you understand how much he's forgiven you. Who should praise him? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And especially those who understand the magnitude and the depth of God's love for us and his forgiveness for our sins. Number three, why should we praise God? Why should we praise God? Now, some of you might be asking at this point, I mean, is God just some cosmic being who, whose ego is as big as the universe he created, and so he just wants everybody to praise him, some kind of an egocentric God? Is that, is that the reason why we're, we're supposed to pray him, praise him? Why should we praise him? Well, let me, let me answer that with this question. 
Have you ever looked at a gorgeous sunset that just painted the landscape of the evening horizon and thought to yourself, oh, whatever. (laughs) Has your team ever won the national championship and when the time ran out on the clock, you were like, woo, okay. No, of course not, because some things just naturally solicit an exuberance. Okay? That's the way it is with God. Of course, yes, we're told to worship the Lord because He's worthy of our praise. Why should we worship Him? Because He's worthy of our praise. But we should worship Him because there's this natural exuberance that comes from our heart over the most glorious thing that's ever happened to mankind, that God so loved the world He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross. So I become enthusiastic about that, you know? Look, enthusiasm is from two Greek words, antheos. That's the etymology of that word. It means in God. Real enthusiasm is knowing about God and all that he's done and being captivated in his love and wrapped up in who he is. Then it just naturally will then begin to solicit this exuberance in your heart, in your life. Why should we praise him? Because he's worthy of our praise. And it will naturally flow from a heart of thanksgiving because of all that God has done for you and me. The Bible tells us that he is worthy of our praise. In Psalm 48, verse 1, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. There doesn't need to be another answer other than he's worthy of it. But I'm going to give you some additional answers that the Bible actually tells us are natural benefits of our worship of the Lord. Praising God is like a conduit that flows both ways. When you worship the Lord and you you lift up your heart heavenward and you give your worship and your praise unto the Lord, there's this wonderful thing that God does in response to worship in our own lives. And I I don't know that I can adequately explain this, but I know that many of you can testify to this. I'm going to give you some biblical examples and help you to understand just how wonderful it is that God, in response to our praise, does incredible, wonderful things for us. In Acts chapter 16, there's the story of Paul and Silas who are arrested for preaching the gospel. They are wrongly accused and uh, imprisoned as a result. And in Acts chapter 16, they're in the middle of their prison cell. And the Bible says, Paul and Silas just begin to praise the Lord. They just begin to sing songs of praise to God. I don't believe they had any expectations. They were just wanting to worship the Lord, even in the midst of their situation. You've been wrongly accused and falsely imprisoned. How many of us could turn and start singing songs to God? That's what they did. And as they're worshiping the Lord, God gave a glorious earthquake. And the earthquake rattled the prison doors and all the, gate, all the doors of the prisons came open. And Paul and Silas were free. There's some story after that. But that's basically what happened in response to their praise. God set them free. You know, some of you are in a prison. Not a literal kind. But figuratively speaking, there are prisons of fear. There are prisons of anxiety. There are prisons of grief. All kinds of prisons that we face. And there's something wonderful that happens when we worship the Lord. How he opens up those prison doors and sets us free. Second Chronicles chapter 20 is another example. Second Chronicles chapter 20, the Bible says that three different foreign enemy nations of Israel were converging against the southern kingdom of Judah. The king at that time was Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. 
Jehoshaphat did a bold and unusual thing. He said, in response to this overwhelming assault against us, he says, I'm going to call the people to worship. And he said, I'm actually going to, this is what he did in 2 Chronicles 20, actually put the Levites and the worshipers in front of the army of Israel as they marched out to battle. Now, I don't don't think that's a statement like the worship team is expendable, okay? That's not a statement. It's just what he did because he realized, and we're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to put the worshipers out front of the army of Israel because I'm going to trust God's going to fight this battle for us. And as they began to worship the Lord with the worship team first in front of the army of Israel, the Bible says God sent an ambush on the enemies of Israel, and they started fighting each other, and they defeated themselves, and the, the nation of Judah experienced the victory from the hand of God, all because worship led the way. I'll give you one more example. And this example is a little difficult, but give me a chance to explain it. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, it tells us that David and Bathsheba lost their infant child. Their infant child died. While the child was clinging to life, David was on his face, fasting and weeping and praying before God. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 12, 20, that after that child died, David got up and went to the house of God and he worshiped. Now that's very challenging. I know that there are people in our own congregation, you've lost children. And that's almost unthinkable to go to the house of the Lord and to worship God. Now he was not worshiping God because his child died. He was worshiping God because he realized that God is the only source for my comfort. And God is the only source to help me through my grief. And God is the only source. He's the only one who's going to help me to carry on because I don't feel like carrying on. That's what God does. That's why he worshiped the Lord. I got a note between services from a couple who had lost one of their twin children at the age of 16 days. They just handed it to me right before the service started. They said, we worship the Lord in our pain. And they said, you know what the Lord did for us? He took away our bitterness. There was no bitterness. There was no blame. There was no anger towards God. Because as we worshiped him, he met the deepest pain of our heart. See, that's what God does. Why should we praise God? Well, number one, because he's worthy of it. But number two, because he does a wonderful work in our hearts in response to our worship. He does a wonderful work. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, as you worship the Lord, there's this wonderful work of God's Spirit to minister to the deepest needs of our heart. That's why we should worship. Finally, number four. How should we praise God? Well, there are many ways that we can praise God as described throughout the whole Bible, but for the purpose of our study of Psalms, I'm only going to deal with how Psalms tells us to praise God. And there are five primary ways that the book of Psalms tells us to express praise to God. And these five ways are singing, by way of instruments, by way of lifted hands, by way of clapping, And yes, even for you Baptists, dancing. (laughs) It's on the list. 
Uh, Pastor Gary, can Christians dance? Some can and some can't. That's all I got to say on that. <laughs> but these five primary ways. The first most obvious way is singing. It's the most common way we praise God, especially corporately. There are over 400 references to singing to God in the Bible, and 50 of those are direct commands to sing. Psalm 49, verse 1. Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the saints. Psalm 105, verse 2, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. Number two is also the inclusion of instruments. In Psalm 150, verses 3 through 6, it says, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and lyre, praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The use of instruments is appropriate in our worship of the Lord. Lifted hands. The Bible says in Psalm 63, verse 4, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. The lifting of hands is the universal sign of surrender. So you have the freedom to lift your hands to the Lord in corporate worship. You're not going to be obligated to do that, but I just want you to feel that freedom because the Bible tells us it's one way that we express our worship to the Lord. It's a sign of surrender. It's a lifting hands unto the Lord. Clapping. Psalm 47, verse 1, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. It's appropriate to clap unto the Lord. And, and listen, I know this, and, and I believe that you know this, but I just want to say it out loud, that even during our worship time, when we clap, listen, we're not, we're not clapping, though we appreciate the worship team. We're not clapping to them. We are clapping to the Lord, and we're honoring God because of the words we've just sung unto him. We're just clapping, and we're offering praise to God as one form of expression, by clapping. And then there is dancing on this list. Psalm 149, verse 3. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. Now, on this last one, let me just say this, that dancing is an appropriate way of worshiping the Lord, but it doesn't tell us necessarily here in Scripture that you have to do that in the corporate setting. Please do that at home, <laughs> because some of you can't dance. And those of you who can dance, you'll cause a distraction. And the truth is that when we worship the Lord, we want to do what is least distracting so that God stays our focal point and not ourselves. And I guarantee you, if a couple of you start dancing in the aisles, all eyes will turn to you and not on the Lord. And we'll forget who we're worshiping. So dance at home. You don't need to dance at church. It's okay. You're like, well, you're quenching the Holy Spirit of God. No, I'm just quenching your spirit. I'm not quenching the Spirit of God because you can dance anywhere you want privately, but you don't need to necessarily dance in the corporate setting, okay? You say, well, David danced before the Lord. He danced in his underwear, and his wife got in trouble for rebuking him. Okay, well, point number two, no dancing in your underwear. And I get that, okay? He had this exuberance, and he danced publicly. All right, but listen, everything in the Bible is not necessarily a pattern. It might be a principle, but not a pattern. Well, David did it. Well, David also cut off the foreskins of 200 Philistines. You going to do that? I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, there aren't any Philistines anyway, but the idea is this. There's a place and a time for everything. When it comes to dancing, please refrain in a corporate way. Again, 
not because I'm opposed to it. We can do it a lot of things in the privacy of our own worship experience, but because we don't want anything to cause others to look at you instead of God. God needs to be the focal point of our worship. God is the sole audience of our worship time. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person, too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.